Well, this has been a great month for launching new websites, so we thought we would give it a try ourselves. <laughs> um, seriously, though, thank you all very much for showing up, and uh, welcome to all the viewers who are uh, watching online. You can live tweet our event uh, with a hashtag hp.org, uh, dot.org. Ladies and gentlemen, we are living in extraordinary times characterized by unprecedented human progress. Cato has long documented that progress, beginning with the path-breaking work decades ago of renowned scholar Julian Simon, whose books challenged the conventional thinking and uh, proposed that by most measures, life would be getting better all the time, to quote the title of his last book. Simon's genius was to recognize that each person born into this world comes not only with an empty belly, but also with a brain. People, whom Simon called the ultimate resource, were not only the source of many of the world's problems, but also a source of the solutions to those problems. Over the years, a number of Cato scholars revisited Simon's ideas, and none more so than Indur Goklani, in his magisterial book, The Improving State of the World, Why We Are Living Longer, Healthier, More Comfortable Lives on a Cleaner Planet. Today, a growing body of evidence, both from scholars and uh, from international organizations, confirms Simon's insights. Indeed, on most indicators of human well-being, more of us are better off now than at any previous time in human history. Yet we continue to be surrounded by bad news. Bad news sells newspapers and increases viewership. What's more, research indicates that our brains have evolved to prioritize bad news. And that is why we have created humanprogress.org. We hope to counter negative perceptions with a realistic view of human condition and stimulate debate on what contributed to the vastly improving standards of living. The website includes over 500 datasets and 2.3 million data points from reputable third sources. These range from the United Nations and the World Bank to the OECD and Harvard University Professor Steven Pinker's database on declining violence. While all definitions of human progress are to some extent subjective, we believe that most of the data which we have included from wealth and longevity to environment and education, must be a part of any serious look at the state of humanity. Like many other websites, humanprogress.org is free and requires no registration. Unlike other websites, Human Progress brings together important indicators of human well-being from different sources in one place. Instead of having to learn how to navigate half a dozen different websites, the user can start by learning how to navigate ours. In addition, as I will shortly demonstrate, Human Progress offers a host of useful features, such as automatic calculation of absolute and relative values between countries over different periods of time, and comparisons between different indicators themselves. We hope that Human Progress will become a useful tool for researchers, journalists, students, and for the public in general. And with that, let me show you some of the website's most important features.
There we go. This is the homepage, beautifully designed by Intridia, represented here today by the CEO of the company, Mark Garrett. Our homepage leads with stories about human development. Uh, these stories are updated and rotate, bringing the user's attention to some of the most important and perhaps uh, unexpected um, data sets or statistics. For example, uh, we can look at the calorie intake amongst poor countries, which is increasing. In 1990, in 26 countries around the world, per capita calorie income per day was less than $2,000. $2,000, 2,000 calories, which is, uh, as you know, the uh, United States uh, Department of Agriculture's um, recommended calorie intake per day. By 2008, that number fell to three. Or we can look at rich countries' pollution. And here we find that CO2 emissions adjusted for dollar of output have declined dramatically, especially in wealthy countries. In the United States, for example, for every dollar of output, our CO2 emissions fell from 1.16 kilograms in 1960 to 0.46 kilograms in 2008. Yet, surely, one of the most important measures of human well-being is infant mortality. Thus, when you click on the Explore Data button, you'll be led to what we call a landing page that shows the map of infant mortality beginning in 1960. The green box over here provides you with a definition of infant mortality, and it is, of course, collapsible, revealing the map of the world. If you hover over a particular country, let's say, for example, Egypt, you will see that infant mortality rate in Egypt in 1960 was 200. In other words, one in five infants in Egypt in 1960 died before his or her first birthday. Over here, you can see the map key, uh, which uh, shows you that um, the, blue, the dark blue color shows you higher rates of infant mortality, and uh, lighter blues show you lower infant mortality rates. And if we click on the play button, you can see the world becoming lighter over time. Another thing that you can do is to focus on specific regions or specific countries. Let's say that we want to focus on Africa. And once again, you can press the play button and see Africa evolving toward lesser or lower mortality rate for infants. Hovering over Egypt, you will get a value for 2011, which is 18. Put differently, between 1960 and 2011, infant mortality in Egypt declined from, 19, from 200 to 18. Now, below this map, you will find four ways in which you can interact with your databases, in our case, infant mortality rates. The first function, allows you to compare selected data sets across countries and regions. Second function over here allows you to correlate the selected data set with data from Economic Freedom of the World Index, which is published by the Fraser Institute in Canada. The third tool allows you to correlate uh, the selected primary data set, infant mortality, uh, with a secondary or additional data set or wealth or anything else. And the fourth and final um, 
function allows you to see the changes in the selected data set relative to $1,000 of income per person. And I will get to that uh, in a short while. So let's take them in turn. Let's first explore infant mortality rate in relation to the first function. The first thing that you will notice uh, in this first function is what we call a, 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 a country ranking table, which ranks countries according to infant mortality rates in any, at any given time. In 1960, you can see that Sweden had the fewest infants die, whereas by 2011, it was Iceland that was in the first place. By moving the slider over here, I hope you can see it, to, for example, 1980, you can see the left hand of the uh, left hand side of the uh, country ranking table change, um, showing that uh, in 1980 Finland was in the first place, Japan in the second place, and Sweden, which in 1960 was in first place, fell down to third place. This table is, of course, collapsible. As you can notice over here, the function already comes with preloaded countries. So let's say that you don't have any interest in infant mortality rates in Afghanistan, Algeria, or Zambia, but you want to stick with our Egyptian example. You type in Egypt, and here you have a graph of infant mortality rates in Egypt relative to the world between 1960 and 2010. As you can see, um, infant mortality in Egypt was roughly double of what the average infant mortality rate was in the world. But by 2011, their positions are reversed, and Egypt has a lower infant mortality rate. Of course, you can change um, the slider to, uh, to any uh, point in time. And you can add or subtract countries or regions uh, to your liking. Now, the, uh, one, of the, uh, one of my favorite uh, parts of the website is the uh, calculation table below the graph. And this particular calculation table um, calculates the absolute and relative differences between Egypt relative to the world. As you can see over here, Egypt's infant mortality, mortality rate in 1960 was 184% of that of the world. By 2011, it was only 63% of that of the world. And over here, you can see the absolute and relative um, changes summed up for you. Needless to say, each of our databases is meticulously sourced. And as you can see, this particular database came from UNICEF. Similarly, all the underlying data that go into the graph and the map and so on can be found over here. Just like the map of the world, just like the graph, the data is downloadable. And it can be shared on Twitter, Facebook, emails, and so on. I will now take you to function four. Which, as I explained, 
correlates infant mortality rate to $1,000 of income per person. Now, this particular function is interesting uh, when trying to understand improvements in uh, well-being in poor countries. Simply put, for any level of income, you can get higher quality of life today than before. Thus, even in countries where incomes did not increase significantly over the past 50 or 60 years, and there are not many of those, quality of life has increased disproportionately to income. The hypothesis here is that technological progress that took place in developed countries, such as better and cheaper drugs, has contributed to increasing living standards in the developing world. So once again, let's look at what has happened to infant mortality rate um, at a $1,000 level income. And here in this particular case, we'll be uploading uh, some of the world's poorest countries, such as India and Bangladesh. And what we want to see is the relationship going all the way back to the beginning of the data set, which is in 1960. So as you can see, there has been a tremendous decline in uh, infant mortality during that time. Put differently, if you were a single mother in India in 1960, making $1,000 and making exactly the same amount of money in 2011, what would you see? That infant mortality rate has declined from about 223 per thousand live births to about 20 per thousand live births. Uh, it's a very similar story in India, where the decline is from 194 to 12, again, a tenfold decrease, and also in the world, where at the same level of income, we have a decrease in infant mortality from 10 to 1.1.5. Now, this pattern holds for... Uh, many indicators of human well-being. And as I said, at any given level of income, or any level of income, buys you a significant better uh, standard of living than was the case 30 or 50 years ago. Well, let's say that you are tired of talking about infant mortality, so to speak, and uh, wish to work uh, with a different indicator of well-being. Currently, we have 18 categories of human well-being, ranging from communications over here, things like uh, cell phone subscribers and uh, internet users, all the way to wealth, um, which includes data on per capita incomes, uh, poverty reduction, and so on. So let us explore one such indicator of wealth. As you can see, you can choose from economic growth rates, income inequality between countries, uh, poverty rates, and so on. But uh, for the purposes of this presentation, let's load up GDP per person in inflation-adjusted dollars. Next function 
which is the economic freedom function, will allow you to compare uh, income in selected countries to the Economic Freedom of the World Index published by the Fraser Institute in Canada. So let's say that you're working with a hypothesis that economic freedom is good for growth. Well, you can try out the validity of that argument by looking at two countries. Let's say that we choose uh, two neighboring countries, two very similar countries that have followed very different economic policies, one of them being Zimbabwe, and the second one being Botswana. What happens to their incomes and economic freedom? As you can see, economic freedom in Botswana in 1980 was five uh, on a scale from uh, zero to 10, where zero represents the lowest level or non-existent level of economic freedom, all the way to 10, which represents the highest level of economic freedom. And in Botswana, it has increased over the last 30 years from about five to about seven. In Zimbabwe, it has declined from a high point of close to six in 1995 to four in 2010. The differences in income growth between these two countries, as you can see, are quite staggering. As uh, the y-axis on the left-hand side shows you, uh, Botswana was actually poorer than Zimbabwe uh, circa 1970, but by, uh, with people on average earning about $400 a year, by 2011, they're earning an extraordinary $4,200 a year. In Zimbabwe, on the other hand, we have practical stagnation between 1970 all the way to about 2000, with incomes moving from 115 to about, sorry, from 515 to about 530. And then we see a major decline to about $320 per annum. Now, the last of the functions uh, that I want to look at at the landing page is a function that allows you to compare your primary indicator with another indicator. So we'll wait while uh, this, uh, this loads, and then we can go to this particular function, which has been, as you can see, preloaded with human development index but that was just for aesthetic purposes. You can choose and compare GDP per capita, which is your primary indicator, with uh, any other indicator. Um, let us say, uh, for the sake of argument, that we want to look at the relationship between uh, rising incomes and uh, perhaps uh, an environmental feature or a feature from the environment um, um, category. And when we are dealing with large data sets, it sometimes takes, uh, takes a little bit of time to, um, to upload. There we go. So let's say that we are interested in uh, 
forest area. In other words, land area covered by forests um, in, uh, uh, around the world. Once again, we are working with the assumption that higher incomes lead to an improving environmental quality. So let's look whether that's true for um, different countries around the world. Let's start with the world. As you can see, in the world over the last 20 years, incomes have increased from about $4,500 to uh, about $6,000. But forest coverage has declined by about 1%. So let's see if we can disaggregate these particular uh, values and see uh, what's going on. Well, if you look at the European Union, what you see is a beautiful relationship between increasing incomes and uh, forest coverage. Similarly, we can work with the United States, another wealthy country, and there the relationship holds. As incomes increase, so does forest coverage. But not all countries have been fortunate enough to have high levels of growth. If you look at the Congo, which was marred by uh, terrible conflict uh, over the last 20 years, um, there the relationship is, um, well, with declining incomes, we also see a declining forest coverage. As people get poorer, they perhaps get more desperate for firewood and so on. And similar thing can be said for Burundi, uh, which, is, which is yet another war-scarred country and a very poor one where the forests are continuing to bear the brunt of the poverty. Now, that's it for the landing page. However, some data sets involve individual countries or topics and cannot be visualized by the world map. And we call these the static files. And I'm going to show you a few of these static files. Um, one category of uh, human well-being that we have, thanks to um, a relationship with uh, a Harvard professor, a, a great relationship, a working relationship with a Harvard professor um, um, Steven Pinker, is the decline in violence. If we look at interstate conflict, for example, we can see that the percentage of years in which great powers fought one another over the last 500 years actually declines quite substantially. So between 1500 and 2000, great powers have gone down from fighting each other 72% of the time to virtual zero by the late 1980s. Another data, uh, static database, for example, that I want to show you uh, would be the prices of food, which I think is perhaps um, more relevant to those of us shopping at Whole Foods. Now, let's say that you are enjoying a dinner with your beloved who's just made a roasted chicken but is complaining that uh, everything is so expensive it's never been this, this dear. Well, you can take out your iPhone, as many of us do at dinner, and uh, you can click on uh, the price of poultry or chickens over the last 30 years, and let's see what happens there.
as you can see, uh, the blue line indicates the increase in the price of poultry in nominal dollars. And indeed, it has risen from the early 80s about 35 cents per pound to about 85 cents per pound in the late um, part of the last decade. But if you look at inflation-adjusted price of poultry, what you find is that it has remained pretty much um, the same. In 1982, you paid 78 cents per pound. And by 2011, it's risen only to 88 cents per pound. Compare that with the dotted line, which is an income per capita. As you can see, over the same period of time that the price of poultry has barely moved, our incomes in the United States have increased on average from $28,000 to $48,000. Once again, uh, each of these statistics is exportable and uh, it is accompanied, as you can see, by videos and literature. For most of human history, progress was painfully slow. As our website shows, human progress is a relatively recent phenomenon, including uh, or coinciding in large measure with the arrival in, of industrialization and globalization. We hope to have created a useful tool for researchers, students, and journalists. We hope that this is a beginning of a long life for human progress as we move forward We'll be adding other exciting features to the website and expand our database to include more indicators of human well-being. The website has a mobile version, iPhone, um, and it can be viewed on uh, tablets and other um, uh, computing devices. Last but not least, you can follow us on Facebook, and I hope you will like us over here, where we post stories, um, about human development uh, from a variety of, of, of sources, focusing specifically on uh, uh, technological development, or you can follow us on Twitter. We, of course, have an About page where you can, uh, where you can read more about human progress, where you can see the team behind the operation, and where you can contact us by emailing us at contact.humanprogress.org. Lastly, I want to finish by thanking the Cato Institute for all of its support. And of course, my heartfelt thanks to the Sir John Templeton Foundation and the Sorrow Freedom Trust for making this project possible. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. It is now my pleasure to introduce Mark Garrett, the CEO of Intridia, a web developer who will briefly outline the process of creating this complex but, uh, we hope, useful website. Thank you for coming out in the rain. Uh, as Marianne said, I am Mark Garrett the CEO of Intridia. And uh, I wanted to speak very briefly to tell you just a little bit about Intridia and some of the challenges that we faced. I would also like to thank uh, Ian and Marion and Stephanie from Cato for giving us the opportunity to work on such an exciting project.
We are in Tridia, and we make. We make web and mobile applications for companies and organizations as diverse as Amazon.com, Bloomberg, Pew Forum, and now for Cato. So briefly, what are a few of the challenges that we faced in putting up uh, the web application and building human progress? If you think about it, data doesn't tell its own story. Data is just data. It just, it just sits there. It doesn't sing. It doesn't dance. And so you really have to do three things with it. You have to ask, what is the story that we want to tell with this data? You have to ask, how are we going to tell the story? And then you have to ask, how do we spread that story? So three of the challenges that we faced were, first of all, looking at the very large and very diverse data set. As Marianne said earlier, there are about 500 different sources of data with millions of records. And Marion and his team are the subject matter experts. We at Intridia are not. Uh, we're the programmers. We're the designers. And so we sat down with Marion's team and we said, OK, how are we going to pull the interesting threads out of the larger tapestry of human progress? And we built what's called a correlation quilt that you see behind me on the screen, basically looking at all the different data sets and saying which values are highly correlated which stories are good opportunities to express uh, the, the human progress story. The next thing we looked at was, you know, once we know what the stories are, how do we tell them? And this was a big challenge. Uh, you see on some other websites that are trying to show uh, economic data, they might be built in Flash. They might be built in proprietary technologies. They might not load on a mobile device. But Cato was very forward thinking, very open and let us design what's called a responsive design using open source technologies. So as Marianne said, you can view uh, the humanprogress.org web application on, on virtually any computer and now on any phone or any tablet. It's built with open source technologies. It's not locked into any one proprietary technology. Um, and we think that that's the best way to get the word out. And then once we decide how to show the story, how do we spread it? As Marian said, all of the data sets are downloadable. We've seen in the last literally year or two a big movement to uh, researchers and journalists wanting to tell their own stories with the data. So if you want to export an image or a chart or a map for use in a presentation, you can do it directly from the website. But also, and maybe more importantly for the longevity of the website and the longevity of the research behind it, is you can download the native data itself, as Marian said, without registering, without signing up, and without any barrier to access. And we think that's the best way to spread the story. So thank you very much for your time. Yeah. I'm Mark from Intridia, and thank you.